morning. And that's basically when everything else gets exposed, it all boils down, what do we have except for God's word? We have nothing. And what's going to last? God's word. Let's uh, uh, open your Bibles, if you would. We'll stand and we'll hear um, our text this morning. It's Acts chapter 15, verses uh, 7, 6, and following. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved to the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Please be seated. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who has been referenced throughout the book of Acts as we've looked at it these last couple of months. And we know that we can hear things intellectually and we can even nod and give a mental assent to things. We know that the heart change that comes and the way you direct us is through your Holy Spirit who lives in us who are Christians. And we pray for your Holy Spirit's power even now as we interact with your text in this important topic for these days. Help me, Lord, to not um, to, to be clear in thought and in expression, knowing what I want to say, and Lord, help it not to be misinterpreted uh, in any way. Help us, Lord, to be open to your text and what's there to see it and to respond properly as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night, I was in New Milford, in the square, listening to a band called Buck Edwards and the Buckshots. It was fun. And they sang Tulsa Time, and they did a song, they said, from 1958, which is when my parents graduated from high school, and Boy, they sang Run Around Sue, and I remembered us all 
some, not, uh, some people teasing Sue Wetzler back in high school and making her cry by singing Keep Away From Run Around Sue. And, and uh, they sang a Heartbreak Hotel and people sang along with it. And there was just a, a wide range of, of generations of people enjoying the music uh, as things opened back up. It was a lot of fun. We, we stumbled on this. My brother was visiting. We wanted to show him the square and said, hey, there's music. Um, two people that stood out. And sometimes you don't watch the band as much as you watch the people. There was a little girl dancing. And little kids just do. The music happens, and those little people, they dance. And she would dance pretty good, and she was there, and, 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 but she was an escape artist. And as soon as she sensed her parents were looking at something else or talking to each other, their friends, there she'd go, boom. And there'd come mom after her. There'd come dad after her. That little girl was, was as cute, and she helped make the show. And then my brother pointed out, my brother Chris was, was with us up, up from Tennessee, and he said, you know what? He said, look at that lady. And she was probably the oldest lady there. And she was uh, enjoying the music. Uh, uh, he said, down in Tennessee at a concert like this, everybody would be up on their feet dancing. He said, this is Connecticut, and it's not quite that way. But look at that lady. And, and so the, the contrasting the old lady and the young girl, and I thought, you talk to that lady, she'd say, just yesterday I was that young girl. And you know what? Tomorrow, that young girl is that old lady. And time flies. This life is not permanent. Uh, the Bible says your life is a vapor. It's a breath. It's walking out on a winter's day and breathing and seeing your mist, and there it's gone. And these things that we think last so long, and we make our plans, our five-year plan, our 10-year plan. We make all these plans. We think about what we're going to do. For one, we don't know if we have tomorrow. Even if we have tomorrow, life is short and it's gone on earth. Uh, don't put your stock on every little thing that comes along on this earth. The things that people are using to stir up and, and fight over. The things that are, are happening uh, behind the scenes and you hear of these wars and rumors of wars and you say, wow, Listen, it's over quickly. One generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Heard of a guy one time, and he, he was speaking to a room full of people. He said, how many people can name, uh, give the names of their grandparents, all your grandparents? And a lot of hands went up. My, my hand would go up for that. How many can give the names don't even have to give details, but just the names of your great-grandparents. Mine stayed up. There's been a little, you know, there's been that oral history and the pictures and all that stuff. And a uh, lot of hands couldn't stay up. A lot of people didn't know. Great-great-grandparents were all down. He says, listen, the things you think are so permanent, the things you latch onto so much, what matters, what really matters, your life being a breath, but your person living eternally in heaven or in hell, what matters? All the rage these days in the news, the fights, the battles, the people getting angry, cutting off people over certain issues. Uh, okay, Think about that, and you as Christians, us as Christians, we've got to think in terms 
of spiritual, what does the Bible say about these things? Um, we find ourselves in Acts 15, part two of this sermon. Last week we talked about, and, and I titled the sermon series, Big, Bigger, Biggest. To me, the big thing was always church government and the connection. And we, we went into this last week. Uh, what happened is all these Jewish people had seen who Jesus was, and they'd seen all these scriptures that they'd known all of their lives uh, fulfilled in Christ. And the Spirit did his work, and they said, oh, those sacrificial lambs, that atonement for sin, that scapegoat, uh, this that happened here, this that happened there, that was Jesus. Jesus taught that. He, uh, when he was resurrected, he walked, and it says that in, in the end of one of the Gospels how he opened the scriptures and he explained how all the scriptures were pointing to him. And it was Jewish-centered Christianity at first. But as we've read through Acts, when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost Day on that predominantly Jewish group, uh, the next thing we know, we find uh, the Holy Spirit visiting and, and, and falling on the Samaritans, kind of a mixed breed of people. Jews, Gentiles kind of hated, almost uh, as we understand from history, the best we can understand it, despised by both. We find Peter then with the Gentiles and God coming and saving them out of paganism. They did not have the Jewish scriptures. They had the Holy Spirit and they were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't have the background. They were practicing issues and people lived different and the controversy that we find ourselves right here in Acts is they were saying, wait, these Gentiles need to get circumcised like us. These Gentiles need to live a life like us. And they were adding um, uh, what they knew to be uh, and understood to be living for Christ, but they were almost making it a condition for salvation, and you couldn't uh, be part of the church, the Christianity, unless you guys cross this. And so it was a racial issue. It was an issue of religious and irreligious people that both needed Jesus coming to Jesus. And there was a conflict in the church. Last week, we talked about how the church solved that conflict by sending elders from all the representatives. And they had a big discussion about it. It wasn't just one person making the call. Or it wasn't just each little local congregation taking a vote and deciding what they wanted to do. There was a connectionalism between the churches. And I shared that was the big thing for me for the longest time. Uh, but as I read this, and I read this text in context of our times, there's something bigger going on, and what's, it's bigger because our culture makes it bigger. And that's the idea of race and racism. And you've got Jews and Gentiles coming together. Uh, what is happening here? How did they look at that issue of people from different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds come together? And I want us to think about that and think about these issues in light of the fact that we are Christians who have a short time on earth and what does the Bible say? We've got to go to the Bible. And what does God say about this issue that is roiling our country, we would think. Now, probably in real life, 
Like I went down to Williamsburg a couple years ago, and I just sat and I watched these school kids, and man, they're all just playing together, and it doesn't matter, black, white, they're having fun, they're hanging out, they're riding their rides together, and my heart was so encouraged. I thought, oh, I hope in these two years later they're not now teaching them to hate each other based on and suspect each other and cordoning them off. I like the natural flow of what I saw back then uh, of, of people judging each other by the content of their character, as, as someone put it, and not by the color of their skin. Here they had an issue, a similar type of an issue. I read a book by a man this week named Vadi Bakum called Fault Lines, and he's talking about what's going on even in churches that are gospel preaching, that love the Lord, and how are we approaching this issue of race. These people had a nice problem, didn't they? When you look at the scriptural account, so many people from diverse backgrounds coming to faith in Jesus. Wow, what an issue. What a good problem to have, even though it was a problem. How do we now live? Because so many people are brothers and sisters in Christ, professing Christ. Now let's talk about how we live out this gospel. It's a good problem to have, even though it was a problem. Sometimes we have um, issues that we see maybe in our families, with our kids or with each other, or somehow we see it starting to come, and we go, man... I wish we could just put it out there on the table. It's just starting to percolate. Sometimes it's nice when it's just out there. In my life, uh, just name an area. And you go, man, what's the worst thing that could happen? The thing you dread the most. And when it's happened, it's been bad, but it's actually been good because now everything's out there and you can pray about it and deal with it and go with it. That's what was happening with race in that day in that early church. They could really talk about it because they had to. Now, why in a sermon would I say big thing is church polity, but even bigger is the race question? Well, I think it's only because the times demand it here for us. I read a, it's an extended quote by a woman named Elizabeth Rundle Charles. Elizabeth Rundle Charles, Vadi put her as the opener in her book. And I said, in his book, I said, I've never heard of this woman. Who is she? So I went on the search engine and looked her up. Uh, she lived back in the 1800s. She wrote hymns. She translated hymns. Uh, she, she was just a writer that wrote some things. One hymn, and I looked it up in our Trinity hymnal. There's one hymn, number 107. Uh, we didn't sing it this morning. But uh, uh, she said this, and I want you to listen to this because it's extended, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to mumble or interrupt the quote. I'm going to try and read the quote, and then, then, then let's, let's get this. This is why we must talk about these things if we're Christians. She said this, It is the truth which is assailed in any age which tests our fidelity. It is to confess we are called, not merely to profess if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christianity. 
where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace to him if he flinches at that one point. I can say, hey, let's talk theology. Let's talk biblical everything. But I'm going to avoid, especially when that's next in our text as we preach through Acts, if we avoid that and skip over that because, well, that's controversial. Oh, you might get misquoted. Oh, people might not. Uh, I agree with, with Elizabeth. That's got to be addressed. If that's where the attack is, if, and it is an attack, as people try to divide people and put them into little categories of, of groups and race and get them thinking uh, not as individuals and, and getting them to feel animosity toward the other groups, uh, that is a point of attack. That's against everything. That old pastor that tried to train me would always say this. Satan divides and conquers. Satan divides. Jesus unites. Okay? So it's important, and it's good that we get there. And that's why I said this is a bigger even than, than the other. What passes for racism these days? Definition has changed. If everyone and everything is racist, then no one and nothing is racist. There used to be a clear-cut definition. The definition was this. If you think you are superior because of the people group into which you were born, and if you think that others are inferior because of the people group into which they were born, uh, that's racism. Color of skin versus content of character, as MLK put it. There's a personal dehumanization of people. That's race, based on skin color, based on appearance. I've talked, and I won't go into any extended definitions of that, but what it was like for my little sister to come uh, from Korea to a little town in Iowa, and my family integrating the town. You know, there's, there's some stories, there's some things that people had, some residue left over from uh, maybe from World War II days, and they saw uh, everyone as a Japanese who, you know, whatever, and, and, there's, and people had to deal with it. Racism exists, and it's sin, wherever and whenever it exists. But the definition has changed in our culture these days. Real racism isn't just sitting around calling everyone else a racist before you get called a racist, which seems to be happening. Some actress who I'd never heard of from a show that I'd heard of but never watched, uh, boy, they outed her. They found out she went to some thing. It's in Missouri, so it's Midwest, St. Louis, and my eyes pop open. And they were calling her on Twitter the Ku Klux Klan queen. She was like the queen of the ball or whatever. And this is a racist organization. They did all that. What they failed to mention is the same little public parade that everybody went to where she got crowned queen, racist Ku Klux Klan queen. You know who the headlining music group was? At that very one. The Temptations. Somebody do your homework before you start throwing that word around. There's an abundance of self-righteousness 
It's easy to call people names. It's easy to paint people with a broad brush based on their skin color. And there is no, in that particular religion that's taking over our country, there is no grace. Somebody gets called that. That's the queen mother of all insults. You get called that, you, you're in trouble. And you've got to just either give a long, almost insincere sounding apology, or you've got to just wait it out till they focus on the next person. Racism is sin. Racism is wrong. Racism is against God. God made people. Jesus died for people of every a race, the Bible clearly says no male, no female, no Jew or Greek, no bond or free. There's no class. There's no, no sex. There's no uh, preference for race in Christianity. But it can become so self-righteous, and you have to play the hot potato game. You're calling me this. i got to pass that off. i got to call you this. Or you sanction yourself first like a college sports program that gets hit with all these violations and you say, hey, NCAA, uh, look, I, we cut our own scholarships down. We're not going to go to a bowl game this year because of this and this. We, we, we did it. And you're hoping that they don't come and blast you harder first. Not every time, but sometimes when it comes to this topic of race and who's the racist and who's the biggest racist, if your enemy can be accused of it, then you use it on a personal level, but you mostly make it a general thing. Divide people up. These people are automatically bad or good based on the amount of melanin in their skin. That's not biblical. And in this flies in the face of, of Martin Luther King Jr., who was not a perfect man, but who marched down the street carrying a Bible, and who appealed to the Bible, and who said, don't judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That sounds closer to Bible than you are automatically sinners, and this is your sin because of your race. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Christians were outside of this. In the early days, when all these people were coming, Jewish people, Gentile people, there was a huge divide, but they were coming in, and people all over the world coming to Christ, and churches were filled with, with all these people from various races and various backgrounds, and the cultural scribes of the day and the church, or not the church historians, but the secular historians did not know what to call them. They said, do we call them a new race of people? Do we call them a, a new race? Because they are not, they're from all these different human races, but God has saved them. Uh, and, and some of our hymnology, we talk about uh, how Jesus bled for, for all of his chosen race. There's a new canon of scripture surrounding these movements. There's a new priesthood. 
Only those who have actually experienced it can define it and talk about it. I knew a guy involved in an organization that was a wonderful organization. And he loved to be sitting around the table with men and women of various races, various gospel-preaching churches. And they strategized. They said, we are a word and deed ministry. We want to do what we can to help the suffering. We want to alleviate uh, those who are homeless. We want to help in all these areas. And we don't care uh, what your skin color is. We want to help you. And we want to help you based on what Jesus Christ did for us. And it was a good organization. It was a standout. It was in contrast to the world. And what happened? All of a sudden, this race thing snuck in. And then it was, let's talk about race. And so one of those pastors who I know very well, too well, said, okay, this is an opportunity. As an organization, we can expand on our, we had a good uh, statement of faith that was clearly Christian, but that was not exclusive. It wasn't just going to be the Presbyterians or the Baptists or whoever, all the different groups. Christians could say, but we can expand on that. And we can really, if we're going to tackle race, boy, we can counter what's going on in the world. So the pastors are going to get together and they're going to look at the Bible and they're going to say, what does the Bible say about race? Passages like this one. Passages like Ephesians where it says God broke down the dividing wall from those who were near and those who were far off. Uh, people that had some religion but still didn't know Jesus. People who were totally outside. Uh, we could look at that. We could talk about passages like the one that was read, um, uh, that, that James read at this council about how God's bringing Gentiles. All this stuff was happening. And the answer was no. Not going to look at the Bible and make a Bible-defined statement. But those who've experienced racism are going to tell those who, who haven't, who are the perpetrators, and that's what we're going to base our organization on and our unity on. And it destroyed the mission of that. Vadi Bakum wrote this. Listen to this. Please see this as biblical. Don't misinterpret this. We are go you've got to hear and, and you've got to say as a Christian, yourself, Holy Spirit, please help me understand this. Listen to this. Open ears. Bakum, by the way, is a man who grew up in L.A., cousin died, a uh, black man who, um, he, he told his story in the first couple chapters of the book, and, and uh, oh, he gives a lot of credit to his mom who, who struggled, and, and, and to various people, not a Christian until later in life, but Vadi Bakum, and he said this, he said, as Christians, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. That is the truth. When there is suffering, when there is suffering, don't look and say, what's the skin color of the person who's suffering? Look and say, there is suffering in a human being made in God's image. Am I in a position to help the suffering? Am I in a position to weep with those who weep? I want to do that, and I want to rejoice with those who rejoice. As Christians, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. 
And again in Job we read, Did not I weep for him whose day was hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? Job is talking about, and there's no refutation, he's talking about the godly way he tried to live. And that is upheld. That's not, his suffering didn't happen because of his wrong living. We know the story of, of, of Job. He said, this is a good thing. It's held in scriptures as a good thing to weep for those whose day is hard and their soul grieving for the needy. Bacham goes on to say, we are also told to, quote, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Hebrews 13.3. May the Lord grant us grace to take such admonition seriously. I would point us to Psalms where God's heart is for the needy, the widow, the hurting, the suffering, the victims. That is biblical. Maybe I've been so insulated and hard-hearted I have not wept and seen and exposed myself to the hardness and not been that way. That's to the degree that I've shunned people and have insulated God help me to be godly. But, Vadi Bakum again, but the Bible also admonishes us to do things that fly in the face of ethnic Gnosticism and its assumptions. The very idea of dividing people up by ethnicity, then declaring some of them wicked oppressors and others the oppressed, is inconsistent with the biblical doctrine of universal guilt. Nobody gets a pass based on race. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He quotes Romans 3. Paul saying in Romans, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is saying me as a Jew is saying that about Jews and Gentiles. All of us are indicted. Vadi Bakum, the black man, goes on to say, this is not the state of white men. It is the state of all men. As such, the idea that there is special knowledge or revelation available to some and hidden from others by virtue of their race or position in the oppressor-oppressed scheme is unthinkable and unbiblical. And then he says, if it's not coming from the Bible, where is it coming from? Hey, in detective fiction, Sherlock Holmes could, you could walk in, you know, walked in, I said, soccer, let's talk soccer. Well, way to go, Sherlock, you saw a soccer uniform, that was, that was obvious. We can't look at each other and determine what a person's sins are just by looking at them. The people that have appeared the most righteous are, uh, you go, man, I would never have believed it. Then you go, I should have believed it because they looked so good and they were so bad. 
Maybe the only clean shirt amongst, among a bunch of dirty, you see a work crew come in and you see everybody else, they're all muddy and dirty and all that stuff, and one guy's got the clean white shirt, and you go, well, I know what his sin is. He's lazy. He made all the others do the work. Well, maybe not. Maybe he was so hard. And he, he, maybe he had to change shirts. Maybe you're totally even getting that wrong. Who can look at somebody and say, you're a sinner, and this is your sin, and I can tell because I have some knowledge from God? You can't do that. All we can do is say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who can tell about a person just by hearing about her, what her sin is? Okay, I'll tell you what her sin is. Tell me something about her. Is she white? Oh, she's a racist. Her baby's a racist and her little dog too. No, that's not uh, what you can do. That's not how the Bible looks at things. That's how the world looks at things, as it divides, 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 divides. And Jesus said, I came to bring people together under Christ. So man wrote, well, we have to have the outside sciences. We don't understand the Bible. We can't get the Bible's message without the outside scientists. He said, like archaeology. Our Bible would be so hard to understand. We would miss most of it if we didn't have archaeology. We need that science. And therefore, we also need the social sciences, was the argument that was put forward. Fact is, archaeology helps prove the Bible is true. But even if we didn't have all the archaeological advances that we have, the Bible would be understandable. And the core message of the Bible would be the same. Fact is, Scripture does not need extra-biblical sources to make it true. I was trying to rewrite this sentence, and I said, no, it's such a good sentence, I'm going to just, just stay with it. Listen to this. And under, you, you agree or not, and you have the right to not agree, but listen to the Bible. The Bible neither needs nor finds authority outside of itself. So here we have a church, and they have racial people together. And some are exhibiting racism, and they are saying, we can't have the Gentiles in. Some are not exhibiting it. And, they're saying, and, and they look at it and they say, what do we do as God has brought the races together under the gospel? Peter gets up and gives a speech after a lot of debate in, in the start of verse 7. He says this in verse 7. Here's where we, we look at the scripture. We, we un, unpack this here. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God made the choice to use Peter. God made the choice for the gospel not to be confined to one race, but to expand, to jump out of that race to all the people as he had promised from the beginning. When God said to Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, he's talking about two things. He's talking about Abraham's descendant, Jesus, who would come and die on the cross for our sins, and he's saying all the nations are blessed. It's not limited to geography. Verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. God knows the heart. 
God knows that each of us. Uh, scripture tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The only answer of who can know the heart is the one who made the heart, who discerns the heart. That's God. Verse 8, continuing. He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Peter said, I can't be a racist. God has filled me with the Holy Spirit, but he's filled the Holy Spirit with these Gentiles too. Race is for, uh, Christianity is for everyone. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, well, I'm not going to enter into this person because of that race. They repent of their sins. They ask Jesus to be their Savior. That's where Jesus responds. Verse 9, Peter says, there's no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Jesus knows the hearts. He cleanses the hearts of his people. No distinction. Sometimes we don't need to think of it in terms of race, but think of it in terms of sins. Well, this is that kind of a sinner. That, that's the sin that, boy, those people, no. doesn't matter what your past sins are. When you repent of those sins and you place your faith in Jesus to have paid your price on the cross, he says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He doesn't say five feet tall and under or five feet tall and over. He doesn't say you have to get saved. And, uh, everybody on Tuesdays, yes, but on Thursdays, no. And he doesn't make a distinction between gender. He doesn't make a distinction between race. Uh, your heart is cleansed. When you see your sin has separated from you, you from God, and you come to God and you say, God, I repent of my sins and I ask you to forgive me through Jesus Christ. That's the bar. That's a good bar. That's good for us. Verse 10. He says, if salvation is by grace, or we could say since salvation is by grace, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of these brothers and sisters in Christ? Why are you doing this even if they're Christians? Why do this? They've been set free. And then that key verse, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Salvation is for all who come to God through Jesus Christ. I was a little kid. James, James stood up. James said, all right, we're going to summarize this. They all voted on it. They send it. He says, we are all God's family, Jew, Gentile. Little kid sitting in a Baptist church in Iowa, and the missionary comes from Africa. And I, I don't remember how old I was. I wasn't that old, but I was listening a lot. And I remember this just jumped out at me. Maybe my parents talked about it afterwards, and maybe that's why I remember it. I don't, I don't know. But this man came, and he'd seen churches grow. He'd seen people come to Christ in Africa. He was talking, and this was in the days of the old slideshows when the missionaries would come through and show the slides, and you'd see these places, and there wasn't like 500 channels, and you couldn't see it on the National Geographic. So it was kind of interesting anyway, because these faraway places. But he'd show pictures of these African churches gathered for worship. And he made a statement. He said, if you are married 
and your spouse is not a Christian, then you have more in common ultimately with these people whose pictures you just saw on the screen. And I think it caused a little controversy. And I thought about it, and I didn't forget it. And, and maybe a couple years later or so, I still remembered that. And I thought, he's right. He's right. You can live with people, but if they don't know the Lord, once that breath that we talked about is gone, uh, and they go to hell and you go to heaven, those other breaths that are Christians are in heaven. You do have more ultimately in common with that person who you've never met on the other side of the world from that other race. If the Bible's true, finally I said that guy was right. Content of your character, not the color of your skin. And here's where the content of your character runs into a wall because the content of our character in our natural state isn't very good. Right? <laughs> so, uh, if all have sinned and, and you're judged by that. Uh, so listen to this. None of us are as bad as we could be. Total depravity doesn't mean that we all sin the worst possible way every moment of every day the way we could. But it does say all of us are tainted. The power of sin is there. It's prevalent. But your content of your character changes when God saves you and your heart is changed. And connected to that justification is also something called sanctification. And you find yourself wanting to live for the God who saved you. And you find yourself growing and thinking. And, and, and all of us, uh, maybe if it's not like taking our temperature every day and keeping a chart, but we look back over a couple of years, a couple more years of living for Christ, and we go, man, I must be a Christian. I, I, I'm I'm still sinning. I'm still asking for forgiveness. But there is a growth in the way I approach life. God's done that. It's God that pushed the first domino, and he's the one that pushed the second domino, and it's, it's all of God. It's not of our own works. But there is a growth that happens. Your character's content is changed when you're saved, and the Holy Spirit enters in and changes you. Just like Jesus said about Zacchaeus when he entered his house, and he said, truly salvation has come to this house. When Zacchaeus placed his faith in Jesus, saw him for who he is, and he couldn't help it. It changed how he uh, went back and made reparations. It changed his actions, and the actions were the proof that the grace had happened of justification. And so we see Paul. We're about finished here. We see Paul, who wouldn't have given the time of day to the Gentiles, wouldn't have given them the time of day. Wouldn't even thought of him. He was a Bible scholar. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew the scriptures. And he wasn't thinking about Gentiles. He was thinking only about Jews and how they should live in relation to the God of the scriptures as he understood that as an unsaved but very religious man. Wouldn't have given him the time of day that he became the apostle to the Gentiles. And he went from not giving them the time of day to giving his very life so that they could hear the gospel and be part of the family of God. And only the transformational work of the gospel can do this. Uh, the, big, the bigger 
The biggest is that Jesus saves and that all of us in our sinful state can be saved. Application, conclusion. One, have empathy. Don't turn your back on the suffering of people. Don't be a racist. If that's your sin, maybe it's not. If you're inclined that way, rethink. It's not in line with Scripture. And that's a broader empathy for everyone. There was a song I was thinking about this week. Boy, I bought it when I was a kid. I'd turn off the lights and listen. Kid, young man, college, I guess. A Dire Straits song, um, Brothers in Arms. Oh, had the cool guitar, but he was talking about the people. He was laying there dying, and he was on the battlefield, and he was his brothers in arms. But then there's a verse in there, and, and I was a guy. I was like, oh, oh, this is so deep. This is so deep, I would say. Well, I thought about it, and I said, maybe I was overreacting, but it was, it was pretty deep. He says there's uh, many different worlds and many different suns. He's talking about all of our perspective on life. He said, there's just one world, but we live in different ones. And that's true. We think about everything only as it affects us and not about. And so there is one world, but, but your world, my world, like is that preacher going to preach so long? Uh, what's going to be for the snacks afterwards? Uh, who's going to, you know, what's going to, we, we all think, and I'm thinking of something different than you're thinking. The Bible calls us to be empathetic, to get out of our little world and to think about other people. That's the point of weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, that's the point of Paul saying, I've become all things to all people, that I might by all means win some. Be empathetic. In the same way God's no respecter of persons, neither should his followers be. Also understand this, though, in light of our current culture. Name-calling and guilt-tripping is as old as the universe. Oh, please don't call me that word. Don't call me that word. Don't, don't accuse me of that. I'll say anything. I'll do anything. Just don't call me racist. You know what? You're probably going to get called it anyway, the way the culture is. Just don't be it. Just don't be it. A good response sometimes when anybody calls you a name, you can say better people and you've called me worse names than that. Walk away. Don't worry about the name calling. Uh, that's not a hammer to hit you with and guilt you into saying or doing something that you're not guilty of. If you are guilty of racism, repent. If there's a specific time and a specific person that you've wounded, you go say, I am sorry, I wounded you. If that would make things worse, to, to bring the, the R word in, uh, you don't have to necessarily bring that in. You know, somebody says, you know, do I confess against everybody I've sinned against? Well, some woman goes up to another woman, I'm sorry, my husband's such a lazy, good for nothing, and I've really daydreamed about your husband being my husband. Will you please forgive me for that? I think that would do more damage than good. So in some of those cases, you've sinned against her by coveting your, your neighbor's husband, but that's one that maybe you just deal with with God and, and, and you admitted a sin. But when there are things to admit 
to the Lord, you admit them, and if you can make it right with people, if you've sinned and they've, they've, they've known it, you go and you repent and confess and ask forgiveness. Don't make racist generalizations. Don't be a racist by saying, if you're black, you're automatically this. If you're white, you're automatically this. If you're Asian, you're automatically this. Don't make racist generalizations and condemn a whole race of people because pretty much if we take our tests, we're all, we're all a mixed bag anyway. Take these tests. We're all, and we're all God's people. So um, welcome all. Turn the other cheek when falsely accused or when accurately accused and not allowed the mercy of forgiveness, just say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you're hated, don't hate back. If you're reviled, don't revile back. George Washington Carver, the great scientist. He did a good thing for those of you who love peanut butter, but he was a great scientist, a great black man who suffered said this, this might be your takeaway. He said, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. That's a Christian sentiment. As we end, reminder from where we started, your life is a vapor and a breath. At a certain point, you were converted and adopted into God's family. How you live out the rest of this short life as you journey all your way to heaven is good and important, but understanding you're not going to live forever. And how you interact on this whole issue of race, because that's the, that's the buzzword, uh, is important. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Lean into the fact that you're saved by God's grace, and you do what, what God does. Don't be a respecter of persons. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this section of your scripture. Thank you that we got to hear it. Lord, help us to think through more deeply than we could do in a text sermon time like this. Help us to be salt and light and to be truly reflecting your love for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.